Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, everybody good? All right, here's what we're doing this, uh, this morning and this month. We are spending the entire month of September in the Psalms, and we're just like picking random Psalms, and we're just going to walk through them. And you might be thinking, well, why would a person or why would a church do that for a month just at random? Well, here's why. It's because, uh, because the book of Psalms has been the prayer and worship book for the people of God for millennia, you know? Thousands and thousands of years, millions and millions of people have looked at these texts and said, this is the worship language and this is the prayer language that will, will form our life. And so we want to do that as well. And one of the things that we've sort of noticed as a, as a team here at the Vineyard, that probably the most neglected part of the Bible in our preaching here at the Vineyard is probably the Psalms themselves. And so we wanted to spend a month going, what is the prayer and worship language of the church, and how can we actually bring it into our life? So that's what we want to do, and today I want to speak to you on a message that I'm calling Good Shepherd, and you can probably guess, what psalm might this be? 23, that's right. We're going to look at a famous passage today. It's super famous. It's like, it's like Selena Gomez famous. What did you say, Heather? It's very current. Good job. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Uh, uh, some people probably have this passage memorized. There's probably a super Christian or two here in the room, and you've memorized that passage. And, uh, and there's probably some other people who are like, well, I, don't, I may not be a super Christian. I don't have it memorized. But if you read it, I would recognize it. And you, you get an honorary super Christian badge this morning as well. Um, and there's a reason why this is true. There's a reason why it's so famous. There's a reason why you know it. Uh, it's because it's been a source of comfort and hope for the people of God for centuries. This one passage, uh, this is truth that has stood the test of time. And here's what that means when we get into it this morning. Uh, this is not a passage that is offering us something new, okay? I just want you to know that right up front. Not something new. This passage is not a faddish idea. This passage is not fashion. You know how fashion changes every six months? You know, you know how I look pretty good right now, and in a year, I'm going to look stupid? <laughs> and in a decade, I'm going to look back at photos of myself right now, and I'm going to think, what was I wearing, right? This passage is not that. It is not fashion. It doesn't go out of style. It's not something new. It's something enduring. It's something enduring. It's not going anywhere. Uh, here's what I also want you to hear, though. Uh, I, I don't want you to hear... I don't want you to hear that there's nothing surprising in this passage, because there actually, there, there actually is. Again, we often come to these passages, and we, we kind of think we know what's up. But here's what I want you to imagine before we even read it this morning. I want you to imagine an ancient stone cathedral. Can you do that? You might even have to close your eyes. Imagine, you know, an ancient stone cathedral. And while you're imagining that cathedral... I want you to walk up to the entrance in your mind. I want you to walk up to the entrance, and I want you to lay your hands on those 
those rough-hewn stones that someone probably cut out of a mountain, right? Put your hands on them. Feel how rough it is, how soft. Knock on it, you know? Think about that. And then I want you to feel how the stones beneath your feet, right in front of the door, that they've been worn smooth from thousands upon thousands of travelers who have crossed that threshold over the centuries, you know? The stones on your hands, rough-hewn. The stones beneath your feet, smooth, smooth, right? And I want you to imagine running your hand across that giant oak door that stands at the entrance. You know, that oak door's probably been replaced a time or two, but the walls have not. You can open your eyes. This summer, Heather and I, we were in Spain. We were in northern Spain. We were in Basque country. Uh, Those people there in that part of the country... They don't even consider themselves Spanish. They consider themselves Basque. It's like something different altogether, you know? And we visited several churches in Spain and France because it was right on the border with France. And one of the churches that we went into in northern Spain was built in the 900s. It's been there for 1,100 years. 1,100 years. 1,100 years. We walked inside of it, and it was as it was 1,000 years ago. Can you imagine that? I just love the idea that someone, somewhere, or some group of people chose to build a church, and they wanted to build it in such a way that it would last for centuries, you know? They weren't building warehouses (laughs) with LED lights, you know? (laughs) Something else. I just love that. We walked in, and you could just feel the persistence in the architecture. It just persisted. How many of you know that even though these buildings are generations old, maybe even the one that's sort of in your mind, generations old, completely unmodern, well-worn, how many of you know that a building like that still contains mysteries and surprises? Yeah. We went into this one cathedral, 1,100 years old, built in the 900s, and we were walking around, and, and uh, there were stained glass windows, as you would imagine. And right next to what I assume is this little uh, baptistry where babies are sprinkled, there was this little tiny, little tiny stained glass window, and it had, it had a stained glass uh, portrait or, or picture of the baby Jesus, you know? And then behind that, there was a, kind of like behind... And there was like these columns and curtains. And it wouldn't be the first thing you'd see. Like you couldn't really tell it from the regular part of the church where a congregant would be. You'd have to actually go up there and discover it. But in the back, sort of hidden in its own little place, was another stained glass portrait. And it was 12-year-old Jesus. And you almost never see those. And it was in a place that you wouldn't see at the beginning. It was like a complete surprise. And I snapped a little photo of it because it's like, A, you never see 12-year-old Jesus. And B, it was in such a hidden place, like you would not find it. Yeah. Even old things contain mystery and surprise. They're sturdy. They're unchanging. Built in a way that remains and persists. Yet they contain mystery and surprise. Uh, That's how I feel about the Bible in general, but especially passages like we're going to read today, like Psalm 23 or Romans 8 or Colossians 1 or Matthew 5, 6, and 7. These are the cathedrals of the Scripture. They're tried and true. We know them. They're sturdy. They're shelters of hope and comfort. 
but they're also sources of mystery and surprise. And so today, I want to open the doors of this little cathedral to you and hopefully make a space for everybody to come in. Now, right up front, I want to tell you what this poem is about, but not until we read it, okay? Let's put this up. Why don't we just read it together? Can we do that? Let's do that. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. It's pretty good. Stone Cathedral. Right up front, I want to tell you what this little poem is all about. The whole thing is about being led by God. I don't know if that's the way it occupies the space in your mind, but I just want you to know that what David is essentially saying here is the good life is the life where God leads us. It's about being led by God. David says that the Lord is his shepherd. And if the Lord is his shepherd, then who is David? He's the sheep. That's right. How many of you know that sheep need lead, right? And that's the image that's painted here. And many of you are thinking, well, duh. <laughs> that's sort of obvious. But I want to I bring that truth into high relief because often this passage is seen as only a source of comfort and hope. Oftentimes when I talk to people about this passage or even when you just sort of like pick it up on the first pass, it sort of occupies a place in our minds of comfort and hope. But I want to reframe that for us because really what David is saying is that this is a passage about being led by God. And so one way we might think about this passage is, yes, it is about comfort and hope. It's about the comfort and hope that comes from being led by God. If there's a way for us to frame that better, this is about being led by God. David is essentially saying, if you want comfort, if you want provision, if you want hope, if you want security, then let God lead. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. Now, um, let me ask you a question this morning, and you can answer it. Feel free to answer some of these questions. Uh, who here likes to be coached? Anybody here ever had a coach? Did you like it when they coached you? What about when they really coached you? <laughs> right? Anybody like that? All right, let me, let's change the frame here, and let's make it a bit more adult. Who here has a boss? Anybody have a boss? How many of you like getting feedback from your boss? Anybody like that? Yeah, some of us do. The Enneagram 3s do. Need feedback. I need feedback. Yeah. Some people, some people, how many of you know that at the beginning, especially if there's not a lot of trust between your boss, you and your boss, feedback can be a difficult thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many of you like being led by the good shepherd, right? Yeah. Uh, here's one thing that I would just say even. Uh, to the degree that we can handle feedback from our boss, to the degree that we can submit and almost 
not just submit, but actually enjoy coaching, it might be a window into how much we will actually let the good shepherd lead us. Because oftentimes the good shepherd is actually leading us through people like our boss or our coach or uh, the goal of the family. You know, other things, right? Yeah. Anyway, let me ask you another question. What does it mean to be led by the good shepherd? What does it mean? Think about that. What does it mean to be led by the good shepherd? Here's some of what it means. It means we let him choose the path. It means he gets to chart the course. He steers. Now, of course, he guides and protects. Of course, he provides. But, but he doesn't provide or protect apart from choosing the path. Those things all go together. How many of you know that sheep need a shepherd? You ever been around any sheep? You ever go to the state fair, hang out with some sheep for a minute? Think about sheep for a moment. How, how intimidating are sheep? Not very, right? Somebody, is that you? That little sheep sound came from my wife. Yeah, how intimidating are sheep? The truth is sheep are not that intimidating. Now, now let me, now, let me uh, ask you to imagine another thing. Uh, imagine, imagine a world without fences, right? Everybody here grew up in Kentucky, and every farm has fences. But, but in David's day, there were no fences. That's why you needed the shepherd, right? So imagine a, a borderless world, right? Imagine a borderless world. Imagine open terrain. Look at this. That's why I chose this picture this morning. No fences, Open terrain. Imagine what lives and uh, imagine, imagine what living out in the wild would be like. Right? Imagine that. Now I want you to imagine this. Imagine one little sheep out on their own in a fenceless world. What lives in the wild? What? Thank you, Judy. <laughs> Be more specific. Please work with me. Predators. Thank you. Uh, would anybody like to be more specific than predator? Coyotes. Wolves. What else? Bears. What else? Tigers. Apparently, apparently we're shepherding sheep in India now, right? Yeah. Yeah. But these answers are right. Thank you, Renee. High five. But these answers are right because if you're out in the wild, you're not just out in the safety of nature. You're out in everything that nature has to provide and, and has surrounded you with, right? No fences. What lives in the wild? Oh, yeah, there's definitely coyotes, wolves, and lions, and bears. They're definitely there. And imagine one little sheep, right? doesn't work. Sheep are communal. They're communal for a reason. They're they're herding animals, you know? They're communal. Why? Because they can't make it on their own. And in an open world without fences, without borders, they really need one another. And by the way, isn't that a metaphor for life? Yeah. Imagine your own life without fences and borders. If, if you want to live, if you want to live in the quote-unquote freedom of a life without fences and borders, can I tell you the two things you're going to need? Other people and a shepherd. That's what David is saying. You want to live in a world without fences or borders? You, you want freedom or the freedom that you think you want? Well, you have to have other people and you're going to need a shepherd. 
You better be a part of a flock. Uh, You better find a shepherd. Because just like sheep, we're dead alone. Without a shepherd, we're still dead. Because life doesn't have fences. And we need somebody who can protect us and lead us to provision. And that's just what David says. David says that the Lord leads. Uh, David says right up front that the good life is the led life. That's what he says. And where does the good shepherd take us? Where does the good shepherd take us? He takes us to green meadows. He takes us to peaceful streams. And David says right up front, the good shepherd takes us to having enough. Can we put the first slide back up, Seth? Look at the very first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. Right? The good shepherd takes us to green meadows, peaceful streams, and to having enough. And I love that right up front, David confesses that he has all that he needs. Ann Tucker oftentimes says, and I know Ann because I've known her my entire life. She's my aunt. And Ann, Ann says over and over growing up that enough is all you need. How many of you know that that's actually true? Enough is actually all you need. Uh, and, and why is that a great word? Because the world right now wants to tell you that enough is not all you need. That what you need is more, right? Uh, everything on social media is trying to tell you that what you need is more. Yeah, yeah. J.P. Morgan was once asked, how much money is enough? He famously answered, a little bit more, right? And this comes right into contrast with that. David says, I am being led by the good shepherd and he gives me all I need. He gives me enough. Read for that daily bread. Jesus taught us something very similar, didn't he? I love that. Maybe not opulence, uh, maybe not a vacation home and designer clothes, but enough. That's what the good shepherd is going to lead us to. And notice that there's rest and that there's strength in enough. Green meadows, peaceful streams, rest and strength in enough. And some of you might be thinking, some of you might be thinking, well, this is written by King David, rich King David. You know, you might be thinking, this is written by rich King David sitting in his palace. Maybe, maybe. But I want you to look at the language, especially in these opening verses. Look at the language. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me green meadows, peaceful streams. He's my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Where, where, oh, where would David have come up with these images of shepherds and sheep? You guys know the story, right? Where did he get these ideas? From his own life, right? Remember when David was 15 and Samuel comes over to the house because he's going to anoint a new king and all the sons get brought in with their father? Everybody but who? David. And where is David? Tended sheep. Apparently this was a formative moment in his life, right? And so years later, David says, you know what was good? You know what's good? The good life is the led life. The good life is the one where there's a shepherd who leads and he just takes his life experience, puts it into this poem or into this song and says, you know what? The Lord is a shepherd. He, he, he leads. He leads. When David was young, he's pulling these images right back. He's reflecting back when he used to work the fields, caring for the flock, feeding them, fighting off the wild beast. And he basically says, you know what? That was the good life. David might have written this from his palace, 
but there's something in him that's saying, that, that stuff back there, that was actually the good life. You know what David doesn't say in this psalm or anywhere else? <laughs> the good life is the palace life. He actually doesn't say that. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Having enough. Uh, and what if I don't feel like I have enough? I want to talk to you just for a second right now. What if, what if I don't feel like I have enough? What if I don't feel like I have enough rest? Or what if I don't feel like I have enough provision? Or what if I don't feel like I have enough peace? Well, a, 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 couple, a couple questions. A couple questions. Uh, number one, have I been distracted by worldly metrics? You know? Have I been distracted by worldly metrics? What does that mean? Uh, it just means what I said a moment ago. Social media will make you bummed about your life if you let it. It will make you bummed. Um, uh, here's another question. Do I need to learn contentment? You know? You know, if I don't have enough rest, provision, or peace, is it really that I don't have it? Or is it that social media told me that I didn't have it? Or, or is it that I haven't matured and learned, learned as Paul did, uh, that, that mysterious thing called contentment? Or have I left the shepherd and his leadership in some way? If I don't have rest, if I don't have provision, if I don't have enough peace, uh, it, could it also be that I've in some way left the shepherd and his leadership? God provides. That's what David says. But he doesn't just lead to green pastures and flowing streams. I also want you to see, let's put the second slide up from the scripture this morning. Uh, he, also takes the he also takes the flock into dark valleys. Isn't that interesting? Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I won't be afraid. You're close beside me. So David says, there's a good shepherd. He leads green pastures, flowing streams. I have enough. But he also leads into the dark valley. And you might be thinking, oh, oh no, he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He wouldn't do that. God wouldn't do that. I just want to tell you, apparently that's what the language says. You might be thinking, that's not what God does. And the good shepherd wouldn't do that, but apparently he leads even into dark valleys because David says, I won't be afraid because you're close beside me. He says, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Sometimes I'd like to think, sometimes I'd like to think that this is just some random sheep that broke loose and wandered into the wrong field. Jesus tells a story about that, right? He says, well, there's this one sheep, it ran off and the 99 were left behind and the shepherd Left the 99 to go and get the one. Uh, if you want to think about this section like that, you can. There's Bible for it. I just don't think that's what's going on here. That doesn't seem to be the case here. The whole thrust of this passage is that the shepherd leads. The whole thrust of this passage is that the shepherd leads. Not that one random sheep broke away and wrong, ran into the wrong field. The whole thrust of the passage is that the shepherd leads. And sometimes he leads even into the dark valley. But the good news is, even there, he's present, he's protecting, and he's guiding. That's part of what we see. You know, the good shepherd will lead us to green pastures, but he'll also take us to dark valleys. I just wanted to let you know this morning, pastorally, uh, all of life won't be lounging in green grass. All of life will not be lounging in green grass. Some of it will be difficult. Some of it will be the difficult walk through dark valleys. Uh, how many of you know that sometimes there's a valley between the two pastures? How many of you know that sometimes the green, the green pasture is the one that the Lord leads you to, 
and, and you're a good sheep and you're with some other sheep and, and we eat that green pasture down and in order to get to the next green pasture, you have to walk through a dark valley. Sometimes that's the way it goes. And I just want you to know, not everyone, not everyone will always be lounging in green grass. Even really good sheep, even really good herds, even a really good flock, even really obedient people who do everything right, come to church, raise their hands, praise the Lord, put in money, teach a home group, go and serve in kids' church, uh, bring something to the potluck. You can do all of that, and guess what? You could have dark valley days, and guess what? It might not be the devil. It might be that the Lord took you through there. That might just be the path. A couple things here that I want you to notice about the dark valley. First thing I want you to notice is that the darkness isn't the shepherd. A lot of people get extra disappointed because they associate the darkness with the shepherd or that the darkness is the shepherd, or that there's some sort of darkness in the shepherd. The darkness is not the shepherd. The darkness is the darkness. It isn't good. Uh, you don't have to swallow the pill that the darkness is good. It can still be bad. I also want you to know that some trips that seem like a long walk into oblivion, they really, really, really are not the shepherd. Some of them are us. How many of you know that the shepherd will take us through a dark valley. But how many of you know also, if we're being honest, some of our trips to the dark valley, it wasn't the shepherd, it was me. It was me. We're like that sheep in Luke 15 that ran off from the flock and chose the wrong field, right? Sometimes we end up in really difficult places because we were stupid or, or because we just we didn't know any better and we just did something really dumb. And maturity is knowing the difference between where God is leading us and where we've been foolish, Here's the other thing I want you to know. Sometimes when we run down a dumb path, the shepherd comes along and he doesn't instantly snatch us out. Instead, he walks us through it. Sometimes we choose a bad path and he does not instantly snatch us out. He walks us through it. Uh, here's what I've noticed. Most people do not get snatched out of addiction. You get a drug problem? Here's the thing. You're probably not going to pray it away in one day. Some people do. It's the exception rather than a rule. You get a really good drug problem, the shepherd will probably not snatch you out of it. Here's the good news. He will walk with you through it. Step by step. I just, you know, sometimes we come to charismatic church because we want there to be like one meeting or one prayer that just breaks everything and it's over, right? Probably not. It was probably a real long walk into that thing. It'll probably be a real long walk out. But the good news is there's a good shepherd who will walk out of it with you. Here's the other thing I've noticed uh, from being here for 20 years. Uh, if, you, if you cheat on your spouse and you are not true, the good shepherd probably won't snatch you out of cheating and infidel infidelity. He will walk with you, if you want, out of it, step by step, and it'll take a long time. That's just the truth, right? Some of the valleys are valleys that God brings us to, some of the valleys are our own foolishness. And when it is our own foolishness, more times than not, the shepherd doesn't just snatch us out and throw us back into the right field. Most of the time, he walks with us out of there. It can take a minute. And if it does take a minute, it doesn't mean you've been abandoned. It doesn't mean you're alone. It doesn't mean you've been forgotten. It just means it's going to take a minute. And then finally... Finally, sometimes we end up in hard spots or dark spots because it's the path that God chose. 
It's the path that God chose. And the promise is that he will be with us. He knows the way. I just want you to know this morning, darkness is not intimidating to the Lord. Darkness is not intimidating to the Lord. Here's the other thing I want you to know or notice in verse 4. Notice that the language changes. Think about verses 1 through 3, and now look at verse 4 and 5. Think about how there's a change in the language. David says in verse 1, 2, and 3, uh, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He leads me into green pastures and peaceful streams. Look at verse 4. Even when I walk through the darkness valley, I won't be afraid. Why? Yeah. Have you noticed that the pronouns changed? Yeah. So in the beginning of the psalm, in the beginning of the psalm, David is talking about God like he's talking to you or me about God, right? And in verse 4, he starts talking about the dark valley, and he's no longer talking to you about God. He's talking to God. And how many of you know that sometimes, how many of you know that sometimes, like, the thing that makes God personal is the dark valley, is difficult? How many of you know that when, when you're in the peaceful stream or you're in the green meadow, sometimes there's a proclamation about the goodness of God that we want to say to other people? But how many of you know that when your life gets really difficult, sometimes that gets narrowly focused and you're talking to God again? I think that's a big deal. Verses 1 through 3, they're about the shepherd. Verse 4 and 5, to the shepherd. David is talking directly to the shepherd. Difficulty has a way of pulling us near to the heart of God. How many of you have ever noticed in your life when it was going really well, there's oftentimes uh, the subtle temptation to not be near the heart of God? Or you begin to enjoy the peaceful valley so much, you're just all of a sudden, you're not near the heart of God. Uh, there is oftentimes a gift in difficulty, and it's, and it's being near the heart of God. Being near. And then I want you to look in verse 5. Can we put that up, Seth? It'd be the last one. Look in verse 5 because the image changes again. It's no longer sheep and shepherd images. Now it's a brand new image. It's a table image. Table image. And we're feasting this time around. We're feasting. Notice how much the image changes. Now there's feasting. It's not just having enough. It's what? Abundance. It's abundance. Uh, heads are being anointed with oil. Cups are overflowing. There's so much here. But I want you to answer this. Where did this image come from? Think about this. Big table, feasting, oil on the head, cups are overflowing. Where does this image come from for David? Again, it's his life, right? 15-year-old David. Most likely, most likely this image is 15-year-old David. He's been forgotten Dad didn't invite him to the table. He's the youngest. He's out in the field. So this psalm begins in the field, and it ends when he is finally brought back to the table, and Samuel has rejected every single one. And in front of his brothers, who were jealous and who didn't much care for him, Samuel pours the oil over his head, and his cup is overflowing, and there's a feast. Right? Again, these words are autobiographical. It's David being anointed in front of his brothers. Or it could possibly also be David being anointed as king, which would make, which would make either David's brothers or Saul the potential enemies that he's talking about here. Either his brothers or maybe Saul or maybe both. Why don't we just say both? Somebody say both. The image switches from fields and shepherds 
to table. It's definitely from his life. The enemies are either his brothers or Saul or both. I'll just go with both. I'll just go with both. I just want to say this. Apparently being led by God sometimes takes us to green pastures. Sometimes it will take us to dark valleys. And sometimes it takes us to the feasting table. But here's what you have to wait for. The feasting table is in the presence of our enemies. And how many of you have ever read that and gone, you know what? That'd be awesome. I'm eating and there's my enemy and he has nothing. Right? It's like, I have, I have a giant wine glass and I've got a big table and I've got a big, you know, those things that like, Renaissance festival. I got a turkey leg and, and there's my enemy. He's in the corner. He's got no table. He's got no water, right? How many of you have sort of read this Psalm like that? And you're like, yeah, and those guys are getting what they deserve. Finally, you know? And then how many of you have ever like stopped for 10 seconds and thought about who God is and realized that God's not the sort of person who would give you a turkey leg and a glass of wine and leave your brother that you didn't care much for with nothing. How many of you know that because we know the heart of God, that apparently when he invites you to the feasting table with abundance and overflow, uh, your enemies are there and he's giving them what he gave you? Wow. How many of you want to be at that feasting table still? Right? Yeah. What is this about. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the good life, because I think that's what this psalm is about. Maybe the good life is the one where we don't control the guest list. That's what I would like to say this morning. Uh, maybe there's no way around it, right? And if we're feasting in the presence of our enemies, maybe it's God's intention to win everyone over. And by the way, this would totally square with the teaching of Jesus the actual good shepherd, because he told us to love our enemies. And he told us to pray for them. And he told us that his father sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And he said that God would like to bless everybody. And the good news is this morning is there really is a feasting table for you. There really is a table where your cup can overflow. And the good news this morning is that God cares for you so much he won't leave anyone out, not even your enemies. This is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus way. And I would like to just make this eschatological for a moment. That's just a big fancy word that means the end of things, right? I'd like to just point this to the future. And what future? The ultimate future. Let's just do that for a second. We are headed to a table. Revelation talks about there is a wedding supper. It's Revelation 19. The wedding supper of the Lamb. And some of us are like, you know what? I can't wait. One day there's going to be this table. He's going to wipe every tear from every eye. Everything's going to be great. All my friends will be there. And I would like to suggest to you, not only are all your friends going to be there, but all your enemies too. They might be there. You might get seated across from the person that you've had the largest disagreement with. You might get seated against people that you never wanted to associate with. They might be there. And oh my gosh, it might be that Jesus is going to live up to his teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it might be that they get the same turkey leg that you got and that the wine cup that you get is the one that they're going to get as well. So what am I saying? I'm saying this. Why don't we just deal with that now, right? Like if you're going to be disappointed, go ahead and take the next week and be disappointed about that and then give yourself seven days to get over it 
Because we're headed to a future where the kindness of Jesus is going to be for every single one. People you liked, people you didn't like. People you loved, people you didn't love. People who were good to you and people who were bad to you. He's going to bring them all in because everybody is eventually that sheep who leaves the 99 and he goes and gets them and brings them back. And he sets them at a table, fills up their glass, puts the turkey leg down, and that's how this thing goes. That's how this thing goes. I'm just saying, why don't we go ahead and deal with that possibility now? Why? Why? Well, imagine this. Imagine that you make it to that Revelation 19 table and it bums you out. Some of you are like, there's no way that heaven could be a bummer. Uh, maybe it could. And let me just interject this. If heaven is a bummer, that's a big bummer. Like, what if there's a, like, there's all kinds of stuff here. There's all kinds of stuff here. Why don't we deal with it now? Why don't we deal with it now? What if we became the kind of people who had unoffend, unoffendable hearts in this life? Because in the age to come, it might mean that heaven could be heaven. All the way down. All the way down. And then finally, finally, the psalm ends in a surprising way. David says, goodness and unfailing love are chasing him down. The psalm opens with following a good shepherd. It ends with good and un goodness and unfailing love following him. So the psalm begins with us following, and by the end, there's something following us. Before and behind. Uh, what does that mean? It means you're surrounded. That's what it means. If you'll let the Lord lead, it means you're surrounded. If, if the shepherd is leading, you've got goodness and unfailing love in front of you, and apparently it's behind you as well. And you might be thinking, well, how does that work? I just think Jesus is not only a good shepherd, I think he's a really big boat. Anybody ever been out on a big boat and it takes off? What does that big boat create? There's a wake, right? And it'll come around you. In the very places that we're defenseless, David says, if you'll let the Lord lead, in the very places you're defenseless, in your past, in your history, places you've been, places you've been foolish, places you've been good, whatever it is that goodness and unfailing love will pursue you. They're chasing you. You're surrounded. Up ahead, that's the shepherd. Behind us, goodness, unfailing love. I just want you to know this morning, that's the actual gospel. That's the good news. The good news is, is if you'll let the shepherd lead, goodness and faithfulness will hunt you down. Instead of being chased by a wolf, you could be pursued by goodness and unfailing love. That's what David is saying. Instead of being chased by the coyote, you could be pursued by goodness and unfailing love. Instead of being attacked by the lion or the bear. Y'all know David, he, he handled those guys as well, right? Instead of being attacked by the bear and the lion, you could have goodness and unfailing love pursue you. And if that's happening in your life, here's what that means. Darkness can't hide it. Enemies can't steal it. Or let me put it this way. What is actual goodness and unfailing love? What is the good life? Uh, the good life and actual goodness and unfailing love, those are the things that darkness cannot hide and enemies can't steal. That's what David is saying. And that's the gospel. I have preached good news to you today. This is good news.
This is good news. Here's what I want you to do this morning. Why don't you stand up if you're on the ministry team? Why don't you come on forward? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.